If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Pythagoras was a Greek philosopher that lived several thousand years ago, and it was Pythagoras that said these words, music is the language of the heart. It's the only language that goes straight to the soul without having to pass through the brain. And that's true. Music really does express the feelings of our heart. It expresses our hopes, our desires, and even our frustrations. And I believe there is one song that really expresses the frustrations of all people at some point in their life better than any other song that has ever been written. It's in Rolling Stone magazine's number two spot of the top 500 songs ever written. It's the song Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. And that song is true. What Mick Jagger sang is, was true then, it was true before him, and it's even true now. I want you to listen to the words of that song, the first words of that song. He sings, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try, but I can't get no, I can't get no satisfaction. It's complicated words, aren't they? Hard to understand. But they're so true. Because as we search for meaning, as we search for purpose in this life, in this life alone, we will discover over and over again that we can't find satisfaction in this world. And that's the message of Ecclesiastes, the book that we're going to be studying all throughout this summer. Solomon says over and over again in different ways, I can't get no I can't get no, I can't get no satisfaction. And I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, but I can't get no satisfaction. Now, someone said this about the book of Ecclesiastes. They said it is pure philosophy written from a confessional autobiography perspective. And so it's philosophy but it is written as a confessional autobiography. It is written by Solomon. It's one of three books that Solomon wrote in our Bible. One of them is Song of Solomon. Most people believe that Solomon wrote this book when he was young. And, and it's a book that describes a love story between Solomon and his lover. And it's an incredible book on, on showing us how love between a husband and a wife is supposed to look. And then he wrote the book of Proverbs. Most people believe that he wrote this book in, in his middle years, middle-aged. And he wrote this book to his son, telling his son how to live wisely on this earth. But most people believe that he wrote Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. He was looking back. He was considering all the things that he had done. He was thinking about all the things that he had experienced. And he was being very honest, brutally honest. He was being transparent, letting us look into his life, look into his soul, and know how he felt as he was trying to find meaning in life. 
Now, for us to truly understand Ecclesiastes and, and everything that he says, we have to know a little bit about the man who wrote it, Solomon. So I want us to begin this morning by looking at Solomon's opportunity because God gave Solomon an incredible opportunity in life. He was the son of David and Bathsheba. He reigned as king of Israel for 40 years. He reigned during a time of peace and prosperity. And if there was ever a person who should have been fulfilled in life, it was Solomon. He was given every break that you could ever imagine. He was blessed with a godly heritage. His father was David. And, and many people, when they think about David, the only thing they think about is David's adulterous affair with Bathsheba and how he killed Uriah. But that's just one small part in David's story. The Bible tells us that David loved the Lord with all of his heart. He is described as a man after God's own heart. And even though David sinned greatly in several different ways, David was a man that loved God passionately, and he modeled that to his son Solomon. And it was at David's deathbed that, that David anointed and chose Solomon to be king, even though Solomon wasn't the oldest of his children. And before David died, he gave Solomon this advice. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 2. Listen to what David says. He says, I am going to where every man on earth must someday go. In other words, I'm about to die. I'm about to enter into eternity, and everybody is going to face that day one day. And then this is what he tells his son Solomon. Take courage. Be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God. Follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. Now, don't miss what David says. David says, take courage, be a man. And then he tells us what a real man looks like. And he says a, a real man, a true man, does two things. First of all, a true man observes, he keeps God's word. Now, now those two words, observe and keep, they're the same Hebrew word. The word literally means to build a hedge around, to hold on to, to guard. David is telling his son Solomon that God's commands are to be a hedge around him, to protect him, to guard him, and keep him from falling. Now listen, men, listen, ladies. That's what God's word is to be for us, is to be a hedge that we build around us to keep us from falling, to protect us as we walk through this world. And so we must read the Word. We, we must study the Word. We must memorize the Word. We must meditate on the Word. Because if we don't know God's Word, it's never going to do us any good. And men, you need to understand that it's your responsibility as a man to make sure that your family is keeping and observing God's word. And then he says this. He says you are to follow all of God's ways. In other words, you don't just read and study God's word to build this hedge around you. When you read it and you study it and you memorize it and meditate on it, you do what it says. You make a commitment, a willful decision to follow God's word. 
So Solomon is, or David is telling Solomon that, that God's word, when we believe it, that we never waver from it, it will protect us as we walk through life, and we are to follow it with all of our heart. And then David said, if you do this, you will be successful. And that's a promise, not only to Solomon, that's a promise to each and every one of us. If we will learn God's word and let it be a hedge around us and we will commit to do what it says, we will be successful. I promise you that. Now, it may not be success the way the world defines success. But listen, in the end, you don't want to be successful by the world's standards. You want to be successful by God's standards. And if you follow this advice that David gave Solomon... You will be. So Solomon started out doing that, and everything went great with his godly heritage, with with his power and his wealth. He, He was set up to make an eternal difference in the world. But then it got better. One night, Solomon was asleep, and God appeared to Solomon in a dream. And I want you to listen to what God said to Solomon. It says in in 1 Kings, That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, You showed faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and so numerous they cannot even be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, Because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you've asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one has ever had or, listen, ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. Solomon could have asked for anything. He was given a blank check by the only one who had the ability to sign the check. That was God. And what did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom, a discerning heart. And the Bible says that God was pleased with that. And because he asked for wisdom, God gave him not only wisdom, God gave him riches and honor unlike any man who had ever lived before him. The world was at his fingertips. He could do anything he wanted, go anywhere he wanted to go. Solomon was dressed for success. And understand, he was successful. The Bible tells us that he passed all the kings of the earth in wisdom and riches. We're told in the Bible that the kings from all over the world came to hear Solomon's wisdom. Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs. The book of Proverbs only contains a few of those. He wrote 1,005 songs. 
He was more wealthy than anyone who had ever lived up to his time. And I think he may have been more wealthy than any man who has ever lived. This is where we see Solomon taking a wrong turn. We see Solomon's omission. Something happened. Slowly, almost imperceptibly, an erosion began that all but destroyed Solomon's life. Solomon later wrote this in the book of Ecclesiastes. He, he basically wrote, I went down every pass, I exhausted every extreme, I built, I conquered, I accomplished, I experienced. But everything was meaningless, everything was boring, everything was empty. Now in his downward spiral began like most, with a simple rationalization. It's okay for me to go against God's word. It's just a little thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, we read that, that Solomon married Pharaoh, the king of Egypt's daughter. We're told that he did that to build an alliance, a political alliance, so that he would have more power in the world. But understand, God had told the Hebrews that they were not to intermarry with the people of the world. This was not a racial thing. This was not an ethnic thing. This was a spiritual thing. You see, God knew that if his people began to marry people who worshipped other gods, they would eventually begin to worship those gods. So he commanded them, you cannot worship people from this world or marry people from this world. But Solomon did. He rationalized it. I'm doing it so that I can expand God's kingdom. I'm doing it so that I can become more powerful for God's glory. He made a rationalization. But then he moved back to Jerusalem. And the temple that he was building for God's glory was not completed yet. It was not built. So Solomon went and began to worship God, the one true God, at the high places. Now, the high places in Israel were these mounds that the pagans who had lived before them had made to worship their gods. And God had commanded his people, do not worship me at the high places. But Solomon rationalized, I'm worshiping the one true God. I'm, I'm worshiping only God. And so it really doesn't matter where I worship God as long as I'm worshiping God. And so he rationalized. But the Bible says God was not pleased with what Solomon did. And then it continued. The Bible says that Solomon amassed this harem of beautiful women. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, 1,000 women in all living with him. I would have thought he would have gone crazy. But that's the way he was living. And these women... They were from all over the world. They were Moabite women and, and Hirishite women, all kinds of women, and they were worshiping pagan gods. And this was the straw that broke the camel's back. I want you to listen to what it says in 1 Kings chapter 11. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. Did you hear that? God said, don't marry them. But what did Solomon do? He insisted, I'm going to marry them. 
God, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord. His God is his father David had been. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused. Did you see that? Did you hear it? Did you get it? Don't miss it. He refused. He made a willful decision to not follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. He made the decision. I don't care what God has said. I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and so here's Solomon. He starts out. He's in love with the Lord God Almighty. His desire is to bring glory to his name, to worship him with all of his heart. But he begins to rationalize and make sinful decisions. A small one, a tiny one. He does one after another. But the problem is these rationalizations that were sinful choices over time, they moved him so far from God that Solomon wasn't even worshiping the one true God anymore. He was worshiping the false gods of this world. God gave Solomon immense wisdom, more wisdom than anyone who had ever lived. But listen, all the wisdom in the world will not protect you from foolish decisions if you make the decision to go your way rather than God's way. And in spite of all your wisdom, one day, someday, you'll find yourself so far from God and so detached from God that you're living life apart from God. And that's what Solomon writes about in the book of Ecclesiastes. He calls it life under the sun. Living life under the sun. That, that phrase is used about 30 times in this book. It describes living your life from a worldly perspective rather than God's perspective. You're living under the sun rather than under God. And whenever you do, whenever you break that tie with God like Solomon did, you'll never find satisfaction in life. Your life is going to come tumbling, tumbling down. A Danish philosopher wrote years ago about this spider. He said well, there was this spider that lived in this barn, and, and this spider took his web and, and dropped a single line down from a rafter high in the barn. And from that single strand, he began to build this web. And day after day, week after week, month after month, he would build this web, and it became a massive web. It was bigger than all of the other webs in the barn. And he caught flies and he caught mosquitoes and he caught all kind of food in this web. And this web became the envy of every other spider. And one day, the spider was crawling around his web admiring what he had built. And he crawled up. And as he crawled up, he saw this single strand of the web hanging from the darkness high above. And he thought to himself, what is that strand doing there? It's not catching any food for me. It's not attached to anything that I can enjoy. I'm going to cut that thread. And he did. He cut that strand. And when he cut the strand that had connected him to the rafters, the entire web, along with him, 
fell to the ground of the barn. And you see, that's what happened when we cut our line with God. When we begin to live our life under the sun, apart from God, we're not going to find satisfaction. Regardless of where we look, regardless of what we get, we're not going to find what we're looking for in this world. And that's the point, and that's the purpose of, of the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and so in these first 11 verses, Solomon gives us some observations that kind of lets us know what life is like without God. He says, first of all, life is meaningless. In verses 2 and 4, he says this. He says, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth never changes. One translation translates this, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Other translations translate that word empty, futile, pointless, useless. It's used 38 times in this book. It describes a vapor that is here one second and it disappears another second. It's kind of like this. If you go outside on a, a real foggy morning and you decide, man, this is so cool. Look at all this fog. I'm going to catch some fog. And so you go back into the kitchen, you get a jar, you bring your jar out, and you grab a handful of fog, you put it in the jar, you put the top on it, and you look, and the fog's not there. I mean, why? Because that fog, that vapor is here one second, it's gone the next. You can't catch fog. You can't catch a vapor. It vanishes just like that. And that's what he says life is like apart from God. It's empty. It's nothing. Tim Keller wrote a book called The Problem of Meaning. And in that book, he says Solomon's point in the book of Ecclesiastes is to show us there are only two possible conclusions to life. Either there is a God that will one day judge by his righteous standard and life is found in him, or life is absolutely meaningless. Did you get that? Either there is a God that will one day judge everyone and the life we're looking for is found in him or life is meaningless. And then he goes on to say, if we're just accidents heading to annihilation, then nothing we do matters. Listen very carefully. Regardless of the money that may be in your bank account, the destination that is in your GPS, the plaque that is on the wall over the door of your office, or the person that you wake up beside every single morning without God, all of those things are empty and meaningless. And one day, you're going to wake up and you're going to say, I can't get no satisfaction. Life without God is meaningless. Life without God is wearisome. In verse 8, he says, everything is wearisome beyond description. There's a story in Greek mythology about this guy named Sisyphus. And Sisyphus was the king of what was one day to become Corinth. And because of some things he did, Sisyphus was destined and doomed by the gods to push a boulder up a mountain, only to have that boulder fall down the mountain. And then he had to push it back up. And it fell back down, and he would push it back up, and it would fall back down. For all eternity, that's what he did. 
He would push and push and push till he got to the top and the boulder would fall down. And he would have to go get it and push and push and push until he got to the top and then it would fall down. Can you imagine the monotony of that? Can you imagine how tiring that would be? How boring, how wearisome. It's kind of like spinning our wheels as fast as we can. But one day we realize the wheel we're spinning is a hamster wheel and we're going nowhere. And that's what life is without God. We work as hard as we can to get somewhere. But when we get there, we find we're nowhere. Life is worrisome without God. And then life is unfulfilling. In verses 8 and 9, Solomon goes on to say, no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Life without God is, is, is kind of like an all-you-can-eat crab buffet. Anybody like crab legs? And I like crab legs. And dipped in butter. And it's good for your cholesterol. Helps your cholesterol go down. But here's the deal. I don't know about you, but I could sit and eat crab legs from breakfast time through supper time. And, and the reason is you, you go through the line, you fill up your plate with crab legs, you bring them back to the table, and you start cracking open legs. Sometimes you crack open a crab leg and you can't get anything out. There are other times you crack it open and you try and try and try to pull out the meat. And when you finally get the meat out, it's just a little teeny tiny piece of meat. And you eat it. You throw away all the remains. And you start all over. And I mean, by the time you've eaten 20 or 30 crab legs, you're still hungry because you're working so hard. And that's how life is without God. It's, it's never filling. It's never going to fill you up. It's never going to satisfy you. It never will. And then Solomon tells us that when you try to live your life without God, you're going you're to feel insignificant. In verse 11, he says, we don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations. No one will remember what we're doing now. In other words, <laughs> you think... You're making a difference. Nobody's going to remember who you are. You say, oh, yes, they will. No, they won't. You need to understand that millions upon millions and billions of people have come before you. And you don't even know their name. And with council culture today, I mean, no matter what you accomplish, if you have something in your past, they're going to cancel you. And I got news for you. We all have stuff in our past, amen? We all do. We're insignificant. And Solomon says that's life under the sun. You see, Solomon's point in this entire book is this. Life without God. Life under the sun will never bring satisfaction. You're never going to find meaning. You're never going to find purpose in life apart from God. So how do I find meaning? 
spoiler alert, you don't find it here. You'll never find it in anything in all creation. You're going to find it apart from creation. And that was Solomon's conclusion. Solomon had more resources, more power, more opportunities to experience life than anyone in this room will ever have. And he would go through one experience and say, I can't get no satisfaction. He'd go through another, I can't get no satisfaction. He'd go through something else, I can't get no satisfaction. No matter where he looked, no matter what he experienced, no matter what he attained or he possessed, he couldn't find satisfaction. And he comes to the end of the book after telling us his journey for 11 chapters. And in chapter 12, he says, that's the whole story. In other words, you've heard my life. And then he says, here now is my final conclusion. Let me tell you what I've come to. Fear God. Obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. What is he saying? (laughs) He's saying you're not going to find what you're looking for in this world. You're not going to find it in a mate. You're not going to find it in a job. You're not going to find it in hobbies. You're not going to find it in a vacation home. You're not going to find it in anything this world has to offer. You're going to find it in God. He created you. He made you. And I want you to hear me. He made you for one purpose. He made you for a relationship with Him. That's what He made you for. And until you have that relationship, sooner or later, you're going to come to that point where you realize what a philosopher once said, there's a God-shaped hole in everyone's heart. And sooner or later, one day or another, you're going to come to a point in your life where you realize there's a hole in my heart. And nothing that I have tried, nothing I have attained has filled that heart because it can't. Only God can. Solomon says, fear God, obey Him. That's every man's duty. That's what you were created for, for a relationship with God. So if you're here and you think you found satisfaction in the world, just wait. (laughs) Hate to burst your bubble, but it's going to pass. And if you're here and you've come to that point where you've realized there's nothing in this world that can bring the satisfaction you're looking for, I've got good news for you. It's found in the one who created you, the one who loves you. He'll give it to you. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction of those desires exists. In other words, when God gives us desires, God's going to provide a way to satisfy those desires. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy my desire, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. It probably proves that earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. 
You see, the desires that we have are never going to be satisfied by the things of this world. The things of this world are only here to show us that they won't satisfy and to point us to the one who can satisfy, and that's our Creator. That's our Savior, Jesus. So do you know Him? I mean, have you surrendered your life to Him? Not do you know about Him. I won't satisfy. That's religion. No, when you know Him, I mean, He lives in you. And you live for Him. He's your everything. You delight in Him. When you do, you're satisfied. So do you know him? If you don't, I want to invite you this morning to get to know him. So would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes with me? With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. If you're here and you've never really given your life to the one who created you, and you're ready to do that right now, then I encourage you to pray this prayer, not to me, not to yourself, but to your Creator. Pray these words. Dear God, I humbly come to you today acknowledging I am a sinner. I've rebelled against you. I've lived like I'm God, going my way, doing my thing. Forgive me. I'm tired of this. Jesus, save me. I believe you love me. I believe you died for my sins on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for me. I'm giving my life to you. I'm trusting you. I'm surrendering. Come into my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new, I pray. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In 